0: All right, today's scripture reading is going to come from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So when you are ready, please rise for the reading of God's word. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Father in heaven, Jesus our Lord, and Holy Spirit, our great counselor, would you soften our hearts, would you shape our hearts, and would you make it yours this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. While holidaying, being on vacation in the south of France, a certain tune perked the ears of a man named Paul Anka. This French tune was titled, For Me. It was released November of 67, but it would soon take on a new life in the land of the free. Sometime after negotiating the rights to the song, Paul found himself in Florida, sitting at a table, having dinner with none other than Frank Sinatra. Ooh, I had your curiosity, but I have your attention now. Paul, at the dinner, sitting across from Frank Sinatra with a bunch of his mob friends. And as they eat and talk, Frank says to Paul, You know, I'm quitting the business. I'm sick of it. I'm getting the hell out. With Frank's words and the French tune still on his mind, Paul goes back now to New York and decides to rewrite this French original. He works all throughout, thinking about Frank, Sinatra, thinking about this French tune. And by the time he's done, it's 5 a.m. in the morning. And he doesn't wait To a decent time of day, but he calls, picks up the phone right away, 5 a.m., and he rings for Sinatra, the phone rings all the way to Nevada, to Caesar's palace. Legend says arrangements were made. The song that was rewritten by Paul was recorded in one take. That's always the case, right, when there's a great song. He did it in one take. She did it in one take. It was meant to be. And this new song that would become a classic was released in 69 for the whole world to see. And now, the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. And I know many of us can even hear that deep, soothing voice. I've lived... A life that's full, I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. And this is an anthem that, particularly I know many men, <laughs> hear in those moments where you are just stubbornly like, you know what, I'm, I don't care what all the naysayers say, I don't care what people say, I can't do it or I should do it, I'm going to do it my way. I know some of us, we see it in the movies and that, 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 that broken, desperate scene, this drunkard laying there and he's happy in all of his own self-destruction and, and glory and he's like, I did it my way. And it's become this anthem for rebels and at the same time for the foolish But it's told that much later, Sinatra's daughter, Tina, shared that although this became her father's signature song, he actually really grew to hate it. She says, quote, he didn't like it. The song stuck and he couldn't get it off his shoes. He always thought that the song was self-serving and self-indulgent. I did it my way. Even the great Frank Sinatra, who indeed lived a life that is full, who indeed in many ways did it his way, didn't like the fact that this became somehow his song, and that this somehow became the anthem of many foolish people who are so self-serving and self-indulgent. Well, friends, as we look at Luke 15 today, we see that it's not just the younger son who did it his way, but it's also the older son doing everything right. At the core, is simply self-serving, self-indulgent, and foolish as well. This morning, we're going to look at the two sons and the father. Now, this is a very famous and well-known story and parable. So my prayer is that the Lord would allow it to fall afresh again. That if you've heard this before and you know all the little expositional turns and corners and gems, that that, that the Lord would take this knowledge and understanding and, and, and apply it deeply and personally, For you and I this morning, that we would turn and repent and know the Father's heart. So first we're going to look at the younger son. The younger son, we're told here, goes on. It says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Jesus starts in there, but there was a man, he had two sons. The younger son went to him and said, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. The son is demanding his share of the inheritance be given to him right now while the father is still alive. Basically, this means that he's wishing death upon the father. He says, I don't really care about you. I just want your money. Can you give it to me now? So the father makes arrangements. He gives him his portion. And we're told that the son gathered all that he had, packed his bag, went to a far country, squandered and wasted it all in reckless living. We're told that he is now in such a state as the place he is in is experiencing a famine that no money, no title, no name can give him any type of comfort. We're told that there was none to help him. You can imagine that as he first went, pocketful of money, going to parties, spending nights in brothels, that he would be surrounded by so much love and comfort and joy and decadence, and yet here now, having squandered it all. This rich kid, this rebel, is feeding someone else's pigs. And he's so desperate, he looks at the food he gives to the pig, and he longs for it. He longs for these scraps. I did it my way. (laughs) He's like, if I could just eat this food. No one was there to help him. He was alone, feeding pigs. I know that picture in and of itself is depressing, but to have a job feeding pigs, pigs was about as low as it gets. Pigs, as many of you know, were seen as unclean animals at this time, and for a young, wealthy Jewish boy, even though he had squandered all his father's wealth, to find himself in this type of work would not only mean he has now made himself the farthest he can be from his earthly father, but making himself unclean is now also so far from God himself. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel bad for him? Do you have any compassion on this kid? Or do you think he got what he deserved? Would you help him knowing his story and all that he did? What if he was your kid? What if he was your child? What if he was one of our college students or young adults or one of our husbands and friends? Knowing all of this, Will we look upon this kid, this man, and have any type of compassion? The truth is, most of us are probably (laughs) disgusted by him. We probably think, man, the dude got what he deserved, man. He was crazy. He was so disrespectful. He was so wasteful. He filled himself with the things of this world. He did it his way, and now look at him. He's a bum. He's pitiful. The truth is, I know some of us still in many ways, can relate to the younger brother. And the truth is, I am him. <laughs> the truth is that, in many ways, this is my story. And I know for some of you, it's your story as well. This parable had a huge impact on my life when I was in college. It was, it was around the time when I was also, in many ways, living rebelliously and wastefully and filling myself with creature comforts, only to be alone and in my own pitiful party. But I don't just relate to this story on the surface, but in many ways, growing up as a Christian, experiencing church and all the joys that came with the Christian community, I find myself in college just still looking for something better, something sweeter, something more. Can you relate? Were you once there too? Are you there now? In verse 17, the parable continues, and we're told that when he came to himself, that is when he sobered up, probably in more ways than one, he realized something. He remembered back at home that all the people that work for his dad live so much better than he is right now. He remembered probably the meal times, the staff meals, the times of the holidays when they were loved and cherished and appreciated, and he thought to himself, you know what, those who work under My father have a better life than even this. So he had an idea. You know, I'll go back home. But I know I burned bridges, and I know I messed up. So I'm just going to go home and ask my dad, can I be just like a servant? And to some degree try to earn his way back in his father's good grace. So he sobers up, and he thinks to himself, all right, I'll go home. If you look in Luke 15 here, in 18 through 19, he says, "I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." You know His only identity now is no longer that I'm my father's son. His only identity is the shame, the guilt and the filth. And he says, "Dad. I know what I did. I don't deserve to be your son. Just treat me like a servant at the very least. Continues in verse 20, look up with me. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. The younger son, as he's making his way home, sees from a distance his father a long way off. And in other perspective, the father, as he's looking, as he's watching and waiting. It wasn't probably just some random day, but every day, watching and waiting on that long path back home to see if his son will come. The father watching and waiting from a long way off, sees his son and runs to him. He's felt with, he's, he feels compassion. He runs, he embraces him, he kisses him, and the son starts to begin the speech, and everything he's prepared. Dad, I messed up. I know, I know. And the father basically doesn't accept any of it. In effect, he says, knock all that noise, be quiet, no, say no more, stop, stop. Turns to a servant, but the father said to his servants, bringing the best robe, perhaps the father's robe, put a ring on his finger, perhaps the signet ring that he belongs to the family once more, put shoes on his feet, he's no longer a wanderer, go get the fattened calf. Let's celebrate like it's a wedding, like it's a party. Because my son was dead and lost, but now he's alive and he's found. This is the heart of the father. He runs to him, he embraces him, he kisses him. I was cracking up cuz I was I was preparing the sermon. <laughs> I thought to myself, what would I do? What would you do if that was your child came back to you like that? But while he was a long way off, I would run to him. I would look at him, grip him by the lapels. How dare you come back? I'd, I'd look at my servant and say, go bring me my belt. Oh, sir, don't you mean the best robe and the ring and the shoes and the kill the fat cat? No, bring me my belt. <laughs> That's not what the father does. He runs to him. Again, when I was in college, when I could uh, immediately and so, in, in broken ways, uh, um, relate to this younger son. I, I, that was a time when the Lord really turned my life around. And maybe for you guys, college was the time. Maybe right now it is. Maybe you're still longing for that time, that revival in your life. But I remember in this time, I relate so much to the prodigal son. And I was reading... Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, and it just floored me, right? And and as the Bible talks about God running to his son, a song that was really uh, deep and and impactful for me was a song called When God Ran. I think it's an oldie, but a goodie. It's by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Yep, and some of the OGs are like, yeah, that's that's my jam. Some of the younger folks are like, that sounds lame. But listen to the lyrics. They're capturing the scene. Verse 1, they start, they start by describing who God is. Almighty God and great I am. Immovable rock, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord. Victorious warrior. Commanding king of kings. Mighty conqueror. And the only time, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me. He took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, said, my sons come home again. Lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes, and with forgiveness in his voice, he said, Son, do you know I still love you? He caught me by surprise when God ran. The day I left home, I knew I'd broken his heart, and I wondered then if things could ever be the same. Then one night, I remembered his love for me, and down that dusty road ahead, I could see. It was the only time, it was the only time I ever saw him run. And then he ran to me. He took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, said, my son's come home again. Lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes, and with forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, do you know I still love you? He caught me by surprise. He brought me to my knees. When God ran, I saw him run to me. I was so ashamed, all alone and so far away. But now I know that he's been waiting for this day. I saw him run to me. He took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, said, my son's come home again. He lifted, he lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes, and with forgiveness in his voice, I felt his love for me again. Wiped the tears from my eyes, with forgiveness in his voice, he said, Son. He called me son. He said, son, do you know I still love you? He ran to me. I saw him run to me. And then I ran to him. It's capturing the story about this prodigal son trying to make his way back, trying to figure out what he could possibly do. And then it talks about this father who represents God the Father, running to him. And this is such a significant and beautiful scene. And this old man filled with years of dignity, this wealthy man, in that time, in that culture, even now, they wouldn't, but, but they would never run. They would never bare their legs and, and, and like a kid, run, just, just letting everything go. Like a kid that runs and say, Daddy, Mommy, or yeah, Chinese buffet. They would never run like this. But this father, being filled with love, seeing his son from far off, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what the neighbors would think. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He receives him and says, no, no, no. There's nothing you need to do except put the robe on, wear the ring, put these shoes on, and come to the party. I'm glad you're back. You don't have to explain anything to me. I love you. I love you. I love you. father runs to the younger brother. So then the question is, where is the older brother? I want to pivot real quick for a short while to Genesis 33. And some of you will recall the story between Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the younger brother, had tricked not only his father, but his, even his older brother in basically giving away the birthright to him. Having stole this blessing From his father and his older brother Esau, Jacob runs away to a far-off country. And years later, God calls him back home. And Jacob knows it's time for a reckoning. All the shysty swindling, all the lies, all the trickery, Jacob knows he's going to have to pay for them and answer to them. And he knows that though his father has passed, Esau remembers and he imagines his brother Esau on that road. And he thinks to himself, that's it, I'm dead. So Jacob starts on this road. And as Jacob is in the front, his whole family and everything he has is behind him. And we're told that he starts to follow his own plan. He, he bows, he tries to show respect, remorse. And then you know what the Bible tells us in, in Genesis 33? Esau, his brother, runs to him. Esau, the brother who had been robbed by his younger brother, tricked, hoodwinked, runs to him, embraces him. We're told that he fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept together. It reminds you of the prodigal son and the father, right? They meet from a long ways off. Whatever wrong was done, it doesn't matter. Sadly, that's not what we see in our parable today with the older brother. We're told that the older brother was still in the field. He wasn't watching. He wasn't waiting. And you can imagine that he had given up hope in his younger brother. That guy, I don't want anything to do with him. He took our family's inheritance. He sold it. He squandered it. He tells us that he... He spent it all on prostitutes and living and drinking and whatever he wanted to do. He abandoned us. He robbed us. I want nothing to do with him. So you can imagine him working the field bitterly, trying to make up for what his dumb brother did. And probably as the sun is now set after a long day's work, just tired. Pissed off, achy, starts to make his way home. He hears music, and he's kind of intrigued. He's not sure what to make of it. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What is this? As he gets closer, he sees people dancing. He's like, what? Uh, What's happening? What is this? turns to a servant, and the servant tells him, your brother is back. Your father has thrown a party to celebrate his return. And the older brother doesn't run to him. He doesn't fall on his neck. He doesn't kiss him. They don't weep together. The older brother, we're told, is angry. He refuses to go in. He can't believe it. This bastard of a brother returns, and this old foolish father takes him back. How could he? He was so bitter. If you're sitting here today, whether you like to admit it or not, we probably think that we're good Christians, we're good people. We come to worship every Sunday in our Sunday best, or some of us even go out of our way to dress down a little bit, right, so that we can relate a little bit more to the younger brothers. We give our tithes and our offerings. We even serve and go the extra mile. We hang around to talk to people, people we don't even like, people that we don't really would get along with. Cause that's what we're supposed to do right you spend your time and your money for the church but you never feel appreciated or recognized you're out there long days long nights trying to be a good Christian but when a newcomer comes to church they receive all the attention the pastor takes them out to lunch they get invited to CG they're befriended so quickly you get bitter you think to yourself, "What about me?" Perhaps that's why people change churches so often. What about me? Can you relate? I know I, know, I know I can. This is the heart of the older brother. What about me, Dad? The younger son, after all he did, you're going to kill the fattened calf, the one we've been saving. Probably for a grand wedding, probably the older son's wedding. You're going to give him that? After all he's done, after all he's done, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. If you look at verse 29 to 32 with me, we'll look briefly at this interaction. He's sitting outside, he's angry, he's bitter, he can't believe what's going on. The dad comes out, and he turns to his older son, his firstborn. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... Who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you were always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the older son basically says, right? He says, I did everything right. He did everything wrong. You threw him a party And you didn't even throw me a bone. The father says, son, son, everything I have is yours and I am always with you. And the father begs him to come in. We're told that he entreats him. He counsels him. He comforts him. He listens to him. He invites him. He says, son, come in. Let's celebrate together. No no dad no and you can then hear the song again even for the older brother I did it my way the parable ends there we don't know what happens next the older brother who was so close to the father physically yet so far in his heart doesn't seem to enter the party and the younger brother who has squandered wastefully in many indignant ways, is able to enter the party and be restored as a son. And Jesus is telling this parable right after the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Remember from a few weeks ago. He's saying this because the Pharisees are there, and they're grumbling and they're angry at Jesus because Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. And this is Jesus' way as he's telling the parable to the Pharisees, to the religious, to those who do everything right, to those who feel underappreciated, those who give tithes and offerings that follow all the rules, that keep all the commandments, that are so angry at these sinners that are now coming into God's kingdom and says, what are they doing here? Those prostitutes, those tax collectors, those rebels, those disgusting people, what are they doing here, Jesus? Why are you eating with them? You never took me out to lunch. Jesus is trying to plead with them by this parable, saying, Hey, everything I have is yours, and I am always with you. But these people were lost, but now they're found. They were dead, but now they're alive. Come celebrate this with me. And, but they don't. They're angry. Jesus is trying to show them that it doesn't matter just because if they're a Pharisee, or if they're a God-fearing man, or, or they're so-called Christians, The only thing that matters is that they are following Jesus who ultimately takes us to the Father who is gracious enough to forgive us, to love us, to accept us. Even to the point, like in the parable, if you were to go so far as do what exactly the younger brother has done, that it would not be enough to exhaust the Heavenly Father's love for you if you would turn and come to Him. And so let me conclude just with three simple points. What are we to learn from this parable? First, no one is too far from being saved. Sounds cliche. Sure, you've heard it before. But that is the truth. If you relate to the younger brother, if you think you've made too many mistakes and you're too far from God, if you think because your theology is not accurate, reformed, or correct, if you think that you've just squandered everything, even if you've been with prostitutes, I'll go far as whatever you can imagine that this young son did. If you can relate to him and you feel so broken and ashamed and filled with guilt... And if you are here at church trying to earn God's grace, saying, you know what, I can't call myself a Christian, but at least I'll be a good servant. And if you think that you're going to earn your way back into God's good grace, I want to tell you, stop, knock all that noise, say no more, grab a coffee and donut after have to worship. You can wear my cheap blazer. You're one of us. No one is too far from being saved. Why? Because it's not by your good works. It's not by how much you give or what you do. It's not by how well you're dressed or how much you know. It's not about how much you've messed up and how far you've gone. But if you are turning to the Lord, it's all about how God is willing to love you, embrace you, and call you his son and daughter. No one is too far from being saved. In fact, if you turn to him, he will run to you. If you have a child, if you have a friend, if you have a family member who is much like the younger son here in this parable, don't give up on them. Pray for them. Yeah, you might not be able to save them. I know mothers and fathers... Those with sons and daughters that might be somewhat similar to this, you feel so hopeless. Like, oh, man, what are they doing with their lives? Don't give up on them. Pray for them. You're right. You can't save them. You can try to force them to go to church and do all the right things, but you can't force their salvation on them. But God can save them. God can turn their hearts, and God will run to them. Jesus is watching and waiting so don't give up on them. No one is too far from being saved. Secondly, we can see from the older brother that, you know, we can be so close yet so far from God. You can be a pastor. You can be an elder, a deacon, a team member, a faithful Sunday Christian goer, a tither, a well-dressed Bible study teacher. You can look the part. But if our heart is so far if our heart is self-righteous, if our mentality, like the older brother, is, God, I did all of this for you, but you never gave me anything, it's a pretty clear sign that we're not operating through a gospel sense of joy, but we're operating and still trying to earn God's grace. And to that, to those of us who are bitter, self-righteous, longing to be appreciated, celebrated, I want to encourage you, too, I want you to know that God sees you. He knows your sacrifices. He knows what you give. He knows the extra mile that you go to try to love someone, even though no one might see it. You will receive your reward. You will reap what you sow as you trust in the Lord and joyfully love him and his people. For those of us who are angry and bitter, will you know that everything that belongs to God is already yours and that He is always with you? Would you know that this church is behind you? All the resources that we have, or whatever it may be, just ask. It's it's already yours. If you if you're a member here, especially if you've been attending here, that you're a Christian. I know I joked, but maybe some of us really feel like a newcomer comes. Like, great, they're going to get all the attention. I've been here for 30 years, tithing. Pastor doesn't even take me out to lunch. The Lord sees you. Just ask. Eternal Life Mission Church is your home. It's like kids, right? Whenever, uh, you know, our our cousins or or other children come, my kids get so upset. I don't want to share my toys with them no i'm gonna hide certain things so they can't play with it i gotta tell them hey timmy and jj all of this already belongs to you they're our guests they're just here for a short while let them enjoy it share everything already belongs to you and if something breaks something gets lost i'll get you more this is your house just like that some some of us need a reminder this is your church if you're like the older brother, if you've been laboring here, serving, this is your church. And the point of church, the point of preaching and singing songs and gathering together in fellowship is so that the lost will be found, the dead will find life. Thirdly and final, God is ultimately the one who pays the cost. This is the most important because this is actually the focus of the parable it's not about the rebel who can be saved although that's very important it's not simply about the older brother who's self-righteous that can also be saved the main point of this parable is simply this the heart of the father is inexhaustible god loves you and is willing to pay the cost and in fact and the gospel message, that is exactly what we find, that God sends his most precious one and only son so that although the older brother in the story never ran to his younger brother, our older brother Jesus will run to us, will get us and find us, that when we find ourselves laying there on the floor longing for the food and the pods that belong to the pigs, that we will have someone to help us. That we will have Jesus. That when we go to the Father and try to confess and, and pay penance, that Jesus would already say, I've paid the cost. That when we feel the shame and the guilt of all that we have done wrong, Jesus will say, that's not your identity. Wear my robe. Wear my ring. Here are my shoes. Come into the party. God pays the cost for us to be able to experience his grace. Just as when the younger son was coming from a long way off, we see that the father runs to him. Just as when the son tries to explain himself, we see the father stop him. In both of those cases, it says, but, but. And one of the most important buts of scripture here is found in Ephesians 2. Look here with me. We'll close with this. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This but God, this interjection here, the turnaround, it parallels nicely, doesn't it? With God running, with God turning. his son and saying yes give give this son give this daughter the robe, the ring, the shoe and kill the fattened calf friends whether you are a self indulgent rebel or self righteously bitter Jesus entreats you much like the father he invites you, he comforts you he consoles you, he begs you and he says come to him come into his house. Will you join me in prayer? I want to ask you just to spend a few moments, however the Spirit is leading you, just come to the Lord. Some of us may have rekindled feelings of guilt and shame and memories of where we once were and you realize perhaps you're still in the same place. Just come to the Lord. It's so simple. It's so simple. We make, it, we make it way harder than it is. You don't need to have the right words to say. There isn't some code or some buzzword that you have to try to get as if we're talking to a customer service person. You just have to come and say, God, I'm sorry, will you take me as your son and daughter again? And before you can even finish the sentence, know that the answer is yes. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus. If you've been with us for a long time, you've been serving, you feel underappreciated, and you're tired and you're bitter, know that the Lord sees you. Know that the Lord loves you. Know that everything that he has belongs to you and he is always with you. And repent of the ways you try to earn God's favor and grace. And let Jesus be enough to give you joy to serve and joy to draw near to others. Let's spend some time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed so rich in your mercy that your love cannot be exhausted and you would go as far as ransoming our lives by your Son, Jesus, who would be our Christ. We thank you that no one is ever truly lost. We thank you, Lord, that even though We are bitter and hardened, some of us, that you can soften us. We thank you that, Lord, you ultimately pay the cost for the richness of your grace to be in our lives so that we would experience joy in you. We ask, Lord, that we would indeed know that you are a God who runs to us, that you embrace us, that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.